you know, I, I, I was, I'm excited um, about this conversation. I'm also excited about the work of um, Task Force One Navy, right? Mm -hmm. And Task Force One Navy um, is marching out, as you know, um, mm -hmm. at the direction of the CNO and looking at all things, right? Mm -hmm. All things and, and seeing if there's any there there, right? Yeah. For the purposes, um, you know, for the purposes of readiness, right? And right. it's about, it's, it's a battle for talent, right? And right. so it seems to me that in the sentiments of Jim Collins' book, we got to get the right people on the bus and in the right seat, right? And so mm -hmm. your work, I believe, is brilliant and it helps, it helps us to think more critically. Uh, I'm, a, mm -hmm. I'm a personal fan of being a learning organization, right? And as you know, as right. a learning organization, it's all about capturing the data as is, not as you, as you want it, but right. as is, right. right? Right. Analyzing it the way you just did and transferring right. that knowledge. And it's over right. to leadership to, to take right. not just the tip of that iceberg, right? But the right. root and begin exactly. to analyze it, right? Am, am I exactly right on that? Right. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I know that... Um, uh, both CNO and vice chief are very strong proponents of learning organization and really want us to get after the system of systems and understanding mm. the systemic nature of what it is that we do and where we need to um, improve and go in order to get at systems of systems in order to get at systematic you have to go to the root you have to go below the iceberg and so if we are you know, as part of Task Force One, examining um, promotion rates or examining um, uh, our proportionality of officers right. in certain ranks by race and so forth, one of the questions we probably need to re-examine 20 years later is, is there a potential for bias in the way our fitness reports and the way our officers are described in uh, fitness reports? Mm. And that can give us a, some data and a target to actually work with, then is when you're able to bring in the experts to say, okay, here's how you uh, can uh, address this potential for this type of bias, or right. you examine how other organizations, corporate, military, or otherwise have redesigned their um, promotion and evaluation systems uh, to try and minimize the degree to which that type of bias exists. Wow. Well, so, so the listeners have, have heard our conversation. And so um, what, what practical advice can you offer senior leaders to address the potential, keyword potential, for bias in fitness reports and promotion decisions? Yeah, so I think for me that gets back to um, accepting and acknowledging that we are not a meritocracy. Mm. And, and here's, here's why that is, uh, to me, that is so important. Until we get to the point where people are comfortable accepting and acknowledging that, everything else becomes low-hanging fruit, right? We're just uh, picking at things. Right. And if you allow me to be a teacher for a moment. Please. Because <laughs> part of what I um, teach and engage with is, uh, you know, critical thinking, mental agility, and those types of things, and uh, the sort of the cognitive aspects of leadership. And and one of the 
the important conversations we have centers on this notion of cognitive dissonance. I'm, I'm yes. sure you know, heard the term yes. where, you know, you're forced to sort of grapple with or wrestle with two opposing things. Right. And if I am someone who has had considerable success in this organization and I am being challenged to acknowledge that the organization is not a meritocracy, then, you know, it, it sort of is a challenge to my own yes. values and in yes. my in my um, self self achievement, right? And so, what happens though with cognitive dissonance is when we have these opposing forces, it creates psychological distress. Mm -hmm. And when we create psych when we have that psychological distress, we are just wired to try and reduce it in some way. Mm. And the ways that we go about reducing it is we try to justify it. Which means, you know, for example, well, we have to do it this way because, right. right? Or we try and recategorize it. Well, it's not really about this. It's about that, right? Or we try and ignore it altogether. That's just too big of an issue for my short time in this role. So, yeah, I'm not going to do that. If we are ever going to get at the depth that we're talking about, we've got to work hard to overcome those tendencies, mm. especially when we're talking about matters of race, because they're uncomfortable, right? And anytime we highlight where bias may exist, the reflex is, you know, well, no, it can't really be that. It must be something else, right? right? And part of the reason why that's the reflex is because it gets back to this notion of, well, if I accept that racial bias exists, then I also have to accept that maybe there was, I was advantaged in some way in, in my career. And, you know, as, uh, we're humans. Yes. We are humans. It doesn't yes. matter, you know, our, our race or ethnicity, that that type of um, cognitive process can be challenging for us. Mm -hmm. But if we can get beyond those hurdles, then we're much more open to do the hard work, to do the, to take wow. the hard look, to push back against that. It was like, yeah, that's too hard. No, to push back against um, the the assumptions that what we have in place is working just fine. Yes. Right? yes. And so it's. I know that that's sort of a a more um, a broader answer to a very no, tactical good. sort of a, good. a tactical question. But I'm a behavioral scientist, so sure. no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm going to come at it through that lens because at the end of the day, we're talking about people. Yes. At the well, end of the day, we're talking about people. And I appreciate. You, you being the professor now, and, and, and I'm a student yeah. right now. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, in between this space, <clears throat> excuse me, in between this space, you know, uh, as you were talking, it, it, what I thought about is one word, hmm. courage. Yes. It takes, yeah. it takes courage to step in that space. Correct. Right? And what I love Correct. about this military that I will take a bullet for in this country that I will take a bullet for yeah. is we have a PhD in courage, right? Yes. We yes. will fight for we the people at the mm -hmm. drop of a hat. Yes. How do we transfer that type of courage to fight, mm -hmm. right? For, for we the people. Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we take a, a strategic imperative of courage and make it, and I know you're, I know you're a, 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 you know, a strategic thinker, but it seems to me that that courageous, tactical 
um, particularly for, for senior leaders. Uh, that's, that's important. How do we create those conditions? How, how does one um, pick up that, that level of courage? Yeah, wow, that's a, that is a challenging question, and I don't know if I have an easy answer okay. for you. Um, what comes to mind is, as you were sort of laying that out, the reason why there's so much courage when it comes to taking, in your words, I think I'm saying this right, taking a bullet for the country Absolutely. is because you value the country, mm. right? That, that is, it is the, the, the core of your value system, right, mm -hmm. is we the people and our America and this is what I signed up for. Yes. The question is then how do we see value in other things? Mm. How do I see value in having a diverse officer corps? Right, right, right. right. How do I see value in creating and in allocating my energy and time to ensuring racial equality in my command? Mm. Right? Mm. Do I see that as my responsibility? Is mm -hmm. if I don't, then if I don't necessarily hold not not, and I'm not suggesting that. If I don't, I don't think it's important, but it, there's something to be said about the degree to which you value that. Right, right. Because the degree to which you value it determines the degree to which you're gonna take a bullet for it, right? Right. right? If, um, and this is going to be a very weak analogy, but I love sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes are my favorite <laughs> food. I am like the Forrest Gump for sweet potatoes, right? <laughs> Sweet potato French fries. I make some sweet potato cornbread, sweet potato nut bread, sweet potato biscuits. Sweet potatoes are important to me. So if I'm in a grocery store and there's only one sweet potato left, I'm fighting the person for that sweet potato. Right? Now I know I have to eat greens, and I, you know, and I know I have to eat my broccoli. Broccoli's not at the top of my list. Right. But I, you know, when broccoli is there, I'll get broccoli. When I have to eat broccoli, I'll eat broccoli. But if I'm in the grocery store and there's only one thing of broccoli left and it's not really at the top of my value list, yeah, I'm not knocking somebody down to get to that. Yeah, it's good. the same thing, right? I am committed and devoted to and I have the courage towards fighting for those things that are highly valued. Mm. And so the question becomes, how do we create more value That's or good. get others to appreciate and value the importance of inclusion and diversity beyond the numbers, hmm. beyond the, um, well, I have to do it because I'm going to be evaluated on it. Right. Instead, do I understand how important this is for us to win the fight? Wow. That's and good. so it's that type of work that I think gets to your transference of courage question. Right. Well, you know, this is so good. Um, you know, as you were talking, um, and oh, by the way, I know what I'm going to get you for Christmas, um, you know, sweet potato <laughs> pie. <laughs> oh, I can make the sweet potato pie. Now. Oh, no, okay. Talk to me. All right, I got it. Sweet potato cheesecake. <laughs> I love it. So as, as, as I, I've been reflecting on this, um, and as you were talking, it made, it made me think about it. Um, it seems to me, um, a gentleman by the name of, um, what's his name, Simon Sinek, you know, start mm -hmm. with why. 
I start with why. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me um, the whole notion of inclusion and diversity, mm -hmm. it has four, if you would, imperatives to it, right? And it's just, mm -hmm. it's just Mo Buford's um, mindset. Number one, um, it's a war fighting imperative, right? Mm -hmm. you know, the research suggests that, you know, mm -hmm. um, when you have diversity, inclusion there, you make better decision making, right? Mm -hmm. um, the second is, um, it's the constitutional imperative, right? We the people, mm -hmm. right? You know, mm -hmm. um, and the third, it's a, it's a leadership imperative. And this is really where I want to park. Um, the trend suggests by 2040, right, mm -hmm. that the minority will be the majority. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me, if that's true, and if we, in fact, recruit from we the people, it seems to me that this, this, should, this should help to shape the values, right, of, of what we do as a warfighting team. And the fourth, and I'm going to come back to the third one, the fourth is a moral imperative. Right. And the sentiments of Abraham Lincoln, he says, right makes might. Right. It's just mm -hmm. it's just the right thing to do. But but what are your thoughts, particularly with the third aspect, uh, specifically, if, in fact, the, the trends suggest by 2040, the minority will be the majority. Um, it seems to me that's that's as you alluded to earlier, um, that's the mind shift, the paradigm shift in leadership that we need to consider. Am I am I right? Yeah, so I'm I'm going to um, respond a little cautiously here, Mo, because I am not a a diversity and inclusion expert or scholar. Fair enough. And so um, I don't want to inappropriately make assumptions or or lean into um, conclusions that I am, in fairness, not um, um, appropriately knowledgeable to to speak on. I will say this just in terms of leadership imperative. Uh, part of the work that we do um, in our team at the Naval War College and focused on um, leadership, uh, leader development, we make the distinction between leadership and leader, leader development, um, is to focus on the Navy as a profession. And bear mm. with me for a second. Okay. And that's the, the lens of, of recognizing that um, this is Don Snyder's work. This is uh, General Dempsey when he was CJ, uh, CJCS, a white paper on the military as a profession that we see and appreciate and recognize that our unique position in society mm -hmm. is that um, we offer a service to society that society can't offer for itself. And because of that, it accords us certain um, liberties, right? Liberty to um, choose and educate our own folks to self-police, et cetera. For me, that's the leadership imperative. Mm. And if you recognize your role or our Navy through the lens of the, that naval as a profession as a leadership per, um, imperative, then all the other imperatives that you list fall underneath that. That mm, nice. you can't have any of those other imperatives unless you recognize the imperative of 
functioning and existing as a naval profession. Because if we don't, then you have things like Congress taking over our ability to self-police and now mm. saying, we're going to handle sexual assault for you. Right. If you don't, then we now have society saying, yeah, we, we have lost trust and confidence. Mm. in you as an institution. So if we are operating under this imperative as a profession, a profession um, accorded certain rights by society, then by that very nature, all of those other imperatives, operational, war fighting, right, leadership, moral, all of those under, all of those under other imperatives become necessary requirements. Nice. Wow. Well said. Well, so here's my last question for you, ma'am. Okay. What's, what's your personal life mission statement? So, personal life mission. So we went from research study to Navy to personal life mission statement. I just want to make that clear. It's all <laughs> for related. For anybody who is listening. It's all related. We just made a big jump. <laughs> Well, I have to tell you in a, uh, that I am a person of deep faith, and my mm. faith guides me. Mm. My faith guides me. And so my, um, my prayer often is that I will um, remain steadfast in whatever I do in God's perfect and pleasing will. Love That's it. That's my mission statement. Love it. Thank you, yeah. ma'am. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Johnson in the house. <laughs> well, thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed this. This was, this was fun. I hope I have uh, been able to uh, contribute in some way and, and add to uh, knowledge and understanding. And I am certainly open to follow up with questions and, and um, am happy to continue to further engage. Thank you, ma'am. So again, ladies and gentlemen, I am Mo Buford. I am a sailor. We are a team. This is our Navy, and now is the time to be all in.